We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. You can follow me on whatever Elon Musk is calling that app these days. My at name, thankfully, has not changed. It's at Mike Dugar. That is M I K E D U G A R. Shout out to everyone that is watching us on YouTube. The name of our YouTube channel, Seahawks Man to Man. That is Seahawks Man, the number two man. We appreciate all of the love and support, not only on our post game pod, but us bringing back the standout plays of the week segment. It's been great feedback. Um, just love giving that to you guys. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Chris, go ahead, talk to him. What is going on, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. You can follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206, and that is CKID206. And just to respond on what Mike was saying about all the love and support, we appreciate it. I went through today. I need to be better at it, obviously, but I went through and said thank you to all those that left some comments on the film and last week's episode. So my goal is to be more consistent on that because sometimes I just be forgetting to go check <laughs> with everything going on. But it's always good to see that and that lets us know that we're doing a decent job you're not you're not as good as they say you are you're not as bad you're somewhere in the middle so we appreciate all that love and support again and yeah how about those seahawks man yeah that was, that was a that was a fun one i know i i can say it was fun because i was not emotionally invested in it as i know you guys were watching that the seahawks don't like to make it fun for you guys they like to make it very stressful um, I mean, it's great theater on, on, on my end. Obviously, it's better uh, for journalistic purposes when they win. You know, I get to write cooler stories, get better quotes and everything when they win, you know. But uh, so so I was happy on that regard, like professionally. You know, one of the other reporters was joking on the way to, uh, down in the elevator on our way to the press box. He was like, man, I'm glad they won, man. My job would have been so much harder today. Uh, and yes, it would have. Uh, but they did. They pulled it out, uh, got a second straight win at home. Actually, this is a third straight win at home. Um, second in a row, moving to five and two, outlasting the Browns with another uh, game-winning drive by the offense. Uh, this time, uh, JSN is who punches it in uh, instead of Tyler Lockett like it was in, in Detroit. Shout out to the rookie. Shout out to the offense, Chris, having just like the biggest redemption drive 
possible. Um, I don't have all the stats in front of me, but I do know at one point they failed on seven straight third down attempts on offense and had six three and outs over the course of seven drives. And I think the one drive in that seven that wasn't a three and out, Geno threw a pick. Uh, so it was just an awful, awful off of, uh, offensive performance there. And then what do you know? Um, for those who don't know, I don't know how many people of our audience fall in this category, but if you are one of those people who doesn't think momentum is a real thing, I don't know how you could watch Sunday's game and not feel like a flip. There was just a jolt of injury, uh, energy put into the offense when that, that ball falls into Julian Love's hands. It just it's like even if they were whether they were watching or they weren't, you know, like DK said, he didn't even see the play because he had his head down on the sideline and some guys uh, were watching on the sideline. Either way, they heard the crowd roaring. They saw they were getting the ball and like, all right, nothing else matters. None of those interceptions, none of those bad third downs, none of that matters. Right now, can we go down there and win the game? They, to be very clear, they were not thinking field goal. They were like, let's go score. Uh, Jason Peters told them in the huddle, he was like, yo, let's stick the ball in the end zone. And boom, uh, there you go. And yeah, they, I don't know if I haven't seen one side of the ball need a big drive. Um, I don't know. I can't, Chris, I can't remember how that the last time I felt like one of the side of the ball just desperately needed to close a game like that. Uh, Cause whew, the offense had been so yucky, so yucky uh, to that point. Uh, and that is a huge, huge, huge win to finally take advantage of these gifts that they've been getting from San Francisco. Each yeah. week, the Niners are losing every week, and the Seahawks are, are finally taking advantage uh, over the last uh, two weeks. So, cute. I can't. We'll, we'll get into it, but cannot overstate the, how huge that is for the offense in particular because they, Chris, they owed it to the defense. I know they're all one team, but I thought Noah put it. Uh, Noah gave a really some really good candor when I asked him about it. He was like. Yeah, man, like when we're coming off the field and we're having these lulls, that feels bad. Like we feel bad because those are our brothers out there who got to go out there again and get another stop or another turnover. And we're not helping them out. So, so he, he said he feels bad. Like, yo, I want to do better, not only for us, but for them. Uh, and that lesson made the ending so sweet. And, yeah, I'm glad. I hope more offensive guys feel that way because, Chris, if they if they had another game where the offense stunk and the defense was was nails in the second half, like it would have made for just a such a disappointing post-game scene, especially on what was already a fun night because of the throwback uniforms and all the 90s nostalgia. Yeah, and to Noah's point, you do get to a point where, damn, we're letting our brothers down. They're going out there every play, giving it their all and doing a damn good job, maybe giving up a field goal after we turned it over, and they only gave up three. Usually in those scenarios, you talked about how the energy shifts. Usually in that scenario, when the Seahawks turn it over or they make a mistake here and there and the defense has to go back on the field, that other team is energized to go do what? Put seven on the board. So that right. energy can transfer, obviously, and un well, not transfer, but it's it's the opposite in this scenario where Gino throws a pick. Okay, now the defense has to come on the field and get a huge stop that offense now has momentum because their defense just got off the field. So the mm -hmm. defense is working. Not this is just in this scenario twice as hard because now they're going up against momentum. They got to try to stop them. And then the holding the three, that's a huge victory. And that's good that the players are able to speak on that and realize the importance of, we got to just put up seven. If the defense is going to do what they're doing, we got to help them and score. Now we can get into the discussion of, oh, they scored too fast, defense didn't get a break. But that hasn't been an issue as of late. 
that hasn't been the the scenario where damn the Seahawks offense is just scoring you know two minutes into the second quarter can the defense catch a minute to breathe that's not the scenario the Seahawks are in they're in a scenario where the offense might start really hot and then they'll cool off and then they'll make minor plays here that are mistakes and they'll be punting they'll turn it over and the defense is constantly on the field but the defense continues to answer the defense continues to make random plays Mike always hints at it the ball just bounces the Seahawks way sometimes and that happened with the Pretty much game ceiling interception. Mm-hmm. Jamal's on a blitz. Jamal gave credit to defensive coordinator Clint Hurt on that call. They called a blitz. He got in there. He jumped in the air to try to bat it down. The ball hit him in the helmet. The ball's then tipped in the air. And guess who catches it? Julian Love. The ball just bounced their way to, on Sunday, but the offense delivered the final blow, which was a touchdown. Because Worst case, Mike, you might have been thinking, damn, they're just going to have to tie it up and we'll go into overtime and see what's what's going. Or maybe you thought, you know what, I think Geno can deliver here and get this team a touchdown. And they were consistent. Noah Fant, I thought he should have run out of bounds when he caught that little, got that little curl route for six yards and then ends up just running through folks and getting a huge explosive play. They're in the, what, mm, just outside the red zone, if not in it, that set them up. Okay, we can win this. We got time. We can win this game. And I think from that point on, they they obviously, before that, they knew they can win, but even more and built that confidence to go out there and throw a touchdown. And I love the play call. Get it in one of your playmakers' hands, right? JSN, you got DK out there making a great block. It's a run-pass option, and it's a throw. JSN makes the catch, beats the guy chasing him. DK with a great block. The game ceiling right then and there. And then the defense just does their part, what they've been doing for the most part, shutting you down. And I, yeah, that was just a great victory. Hard-fought one. I'm sure Pete loves it. So that was a game that the Seahawks needed to win, and they, they got it done on their turf, which is a great sign. And they'll be challenged again next Sunday when they take on the Ravens. But for now, you you enjoy, the Seahawks can enjoy this one and start preparing for their next game. Yeah, I think uh, they had – I don't have the, the stats from Sunday's uh, – the Cardinals win in front of me, but I think the Seahawks turned it over either on offense or special teams three times in that game, and I think they only scored once uh, on those. It might have just been a field goal. I know after Geno's interception that wasn't in the red zone uh, – well, after both interceptions, they didn't score, I don't think, any points. Um, the Bengals did. They know they didn't score any touchdowns, but I know after his interception where DK stopped running the route – yeah. Uh, the Bengals had a zero yard zero scoring yard. drive. That was their only points. Um, and I, it was, it was pretty much the same thing against the Cardinals where they really only, I think they missed a field goal after one of those had to punt after one of those, um, and then made a field goal after one of those turnovers. So you're looking at three points off of like three turnovers. I think, um, today, very similar story. Gino throws a pick at the end of the half. That didn't really matter because they kneeled it out, but then Gino throws a pick, uh, in the third quarter. And right after that, I mean, they're basically in field goal range. I think they started at Seattle 39 there, so they really, you know, one first down basically puts you in field goal range. But on third and four, Trey Brown wins a one-on-one against Amari oh. Cooper and holds in, holds in the three. Like, that's those are the type of positions, to your point about being, like, working double. I think that is a way to put it because you are playing against the Browns and the momentum that the, the offense has created against you. Yeah, and they they've think hand, we're going to go They've score. handled that really well. Yeah, they've, they've handled that really well, and that's – Credit to the mentality of these guys. You know, they're not really worried about what the offense does. They're like, when we're on the field, we don't need to give up points. Simple. Like, if they're already in field goal range, hold them to three. 
Like that's their that's their thought. The other the other um, part of that is that these guys are there's everyone's making plays. So when they go on the field, the defense is thinking, all right, well, I'm about to make a play. Yeah. Like everyone wants to get the fumble, get the strip sack, get the interception, get the PBU. It's like a competition um, up there. So I think and the other part of that is they rep these sudden change moments is what they call them in practice. Like Pete will just be like, all right, sudden change, sudden change. Um, and then now the defense is like, all right, yep, you're up. You was getting water. You was getting taped up. Nope, nope, nope. The offense fumbled. The offense threw a pick. We're right back on. Come on, come on, come on. Mm. Practice those scenarios so that when they happen in the game, you could be in the middle of talking to the DB coach. Hey, you know, when they do this, we're going to fix that. Oh, damn. Interception. Go. Like, they're ready for that. They're, 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 they're trained for those those moments, which is, I think, in part why they've been so good at handling those. Because they're not easy. It's very easy to just, Gino throws a pick. Three plays later, the other team scores. We see that every week in the NFL. The offense gets a short field and they score. They got the momentum, yada, yada, yada. So, like, a, a huge credit um, to the defense for not only playing well, but playing well in spite of the offense for so long uh, because that is not – it's not easy. And it's not easy also to, like, battle the human element of it too. You know, There's got to be a part of them where they want to admit it or not to be like, damn, man, these guys, they score? You know, no, <laughs> like, right. getting all these plays, you know somebody thinking it. Whether they're saying it out loud or showing it with the body language, somebody over there is like, dog, if these guys just, just don't score, we we giving them the ball. We're doing our job, you know? Um, so I think credit, credit, double credit goes to them because that's not that's not easy particularly with the penalties that they were battling uh in this oh. in this draw in this game too whether whether warranted or unwarranted they haven't and they had to you know battle through them so yeah that was huge by the offense i, I forget which number of game winning drives this is for gino as a seahawk actually i might be able to check that let me see oh duh i had a browser open with that i was going to put it in my story uh looks like he's credited with a game winning drive against the giants uh in 2022 uh, so last year's Giants game, he's credited with a game-winning drive against the Rams. So two game-winning drives against the Rams last year, one against the Lions, and so now this one. So this was Geno's fifth game-winning drive and his fourth fourth-quarter comeback as a Seahawk. Uh, pretty pretty good numbers. He's fallen short a few times in those situations, but did a good job leading them. And Chris, you said that I think that they may score, or get a field goal, or whatever. I was I was pretty indifferent. I was like, man, this could this could easily end with some great theater with a game winning touchdown, or this could easily end with a Miles Garrett strip sack. Like I was prepared for either scenario, honestly. Particularly since they were rotating Stone Forsyth and Jason Peters on the right side. I was like, man, this could. And then Miles had got a sack on the previous drive, so I'm like, oh, this is Miles Garrett time. I was I was like, uh, this could go either way. Um, so yeah, credit credit to the offense for also having the mental toughness there to yeah to block it out wash all yeah to wash all because that's tough too man they feel them three and outs like damn here we go we on the bench again um <laughs> you know like sometimes when they put out some of these all access videos on their youtube channel you can see how they're talking on the sidelines it's not super down in the dumps but sometimes you can just see it like man there it's really frustrating another three and out another three and out another three and out another sack you know um so yeah to to wash all that I think that starts with the quarterback. The quarterback's very easily to forget things. He's just like, all right, cool. I threw a pick, whatever. I'm about to lead us to – we're about to go down there and score. Um, so I think when you have that type of leadership, you know, Tyler's always thinking that. Uh, DK's always thinking we're going to go score. Noah, you know, Jason Peters even, Gino. So I think that attitude – there's a lot of good attitude in this game, a lot of good mindsets, starting from the coach who trains them the right way 
and then the leaders on defense to be like, when we're on the field, we do our part. No matter what happened on the previous drive, we're about to go down here and we're about to win the game. That's what the defense was thinking. They were like, we're about to get a turnover on this final drive. And they did. Uh, and then on offense, they were like, we're about to go win the game right here because that's what we do uh, and, and handle that. And this is these are the reps that guys need because, Chris, they're going to have games like this later. Whether yeah. against the Niners or the Cowboys or Philly, like even against teams like Tennessee and Pittsburgh, who are really well coached, um, no matter who they're putting on the field. Like there's going to be some late game scenarios, the Rams again, um, where they have to they have to maybe forget that fumbled punt, forget that interception, forget that corner that got beat for a touchdown, forget all that. It's winning time. And these reps are good, particularly since this is probably one of the younger teams in the league. They got a lot of young dudes. They got a bunch of young dudes and Jason Peters uh, playing a <laughs> for real, <laughs> dude. Gino joked. He was like, "Man, Jason might have actually played against the Seahawks when they wore these uniforms." That dude, oh, yeah, that was funny. Uh, that was that was that was very funny. He's not he's not that old, but yeah, it's pretty pretty close. Anyway, uh, yeah, they're gonna need those reps later. They're gonna need to know what it feels like to execute late in the game, whether from the, whether you're a rookie, second year guy, or whatever. So yeah, that, or you're just new to the team, like Jay Love and Evan Brown. You know, now, you know, they're getting that field, too. So just a really good, really good throwback victory in the beautiful throwback uniforms that we will get to in our question segment um, that I think we're re- ready for that. I think right we now, might we well just get right to it, man. We we got a All bunch right, of questions. So for one, we want to thank you guys for taking the time to sit up there and say, you know what? I got a question. So we appreciate all the questions. We will get rolling here. We'll start with Travis. W underscore SK. Is D's role just going to be gadget player in the system? What does he need to do to get more opportunities on this team? And what do you think the future is for him? Uh, Yeah, I think that, that unfortunately that is probably just the reality. Gadget guy, maybe some garbage time reps is, you know, wide receiver five getting in there, catching plays when they're either getting blown out or blowing the other team out. I don't really see either of those things happening. Um, the, a lot of their games are going to be down to the wire, but in the event that they're not, that I think that's it. And some of that is just how Shane has chosen to use him. I mean, he got a concussion on a fly sweep, which I'm not like anti-fly sweep. Like the one he got hurt on against the Colts in his rookie year, like it worked. I think he got a first down on it and got, just got wrecked um, and was out for like seven weeks. But then that was the only way he was pretty much used, you know, and I think that's not the way to use him. But at this point, it doesn't even really matter because of who's ahead of him. Like, look at Chris, their top four is solid. Like, we came into the season, like, they have, they'll give the Bengals a fight for their top three uh, receivers. And the Bengals are probably still, probably still get the nod uh, there. Like, the, they had a really good win against the Niners today. Um, and that offense is legit over there uh, in Cincinnati. But, like, if you want to talk about a top four now, hey, now you got something cooking. The Seahawks are really deep. They can pretty much run anything with anybody. They can have a play where Jake Jake Bobo's the first read. They can have a, a play where Jake Bobo's the, the the lead blocker, and they can do the same. Can be true of JSN to Tyler to DK, where they're in the red zone, thirteen personnel, 11, 12. That just that just leaves D um, currently as the odd odd man out. He's going to get some touches, but yeah, I don't. There's not much of a role now and going forward all those guys i just named they're under contract for multiple years like it's uh yeah it's it's a really crowded receiver room right now it's a good problem for the seahawks to have but it is going to leave someone out on the odd man out and right now that is that is d he had a good kick return uh today uh oh yeah he almost popped it like in the 
first half, second half. Yeah, it was a good, a good one. He runs really hard too. Um, so maybe he houses one of those. But other than that, I think their top four receiver is so strong. There is zero reason to give anyone else meaningful snaps with the way those guys are playing. This next one is from B Boy Casual. What did the Seahawks O line do well to hold off Miles Garrett on Sunday? Yeah, it sounds cliche, but they just had a plan. They had a plan and stuck to it. Like even the play, how many how many dropbacks did Geno have? Like thirty something um, today. Thought he he had a lot of drop. No, that's actually not a ton of dropbacks. Um, but the point is, Geno dropped back quite a bit today, uh, and I think was only sacked at one time. Right, Chris, I got that right. Yeah, uh-huh. he had thirty. So it'd be 30, he got thirty-seven attempts plus a sack. So yeah, so that's what thirty-eight uh, dropbacks or something like that. And only one sack. The main thing I haven't watched the whole rewatched the whole game yet, but from watching it live, I just noticed in some key moments they just had a plan for him. They knew where ninety-five was going to be and knew how they wanted to handle it. Whether when he was coming up the middle, you saw Evan Brown and and Damian Lewis double teaming them. They did that on one of the on the first drive, I want to say, maybe the second drive that led to a big play, you know, on Tyler's touchdown, I think they either double team him or Charles just handles him one-on-one. Either way, they had a plan for him. Sometimes the plan was doubles. You know, I saw one play where Charles handled him. I saw one play where he was double teamed coming up the middle. I saw one play where he's double teamed by Will Disley and Noah Fant. I saw a couple plays where Jason Peters has him on the edge by himself couple plays where Jason Peters gets some help from Anthony Bradford playing right guard. They just had a plan for, for miles. So let's identify him and we're going to help our, either some plays we're going to help our tackles out and some plays we're not. And on the plays we're not, let's help us make sure we give Gino an outlet so that we can give it to the ball. It was just a really, and that's the case for every good lineman. They, you know, same thing for Max Crosby, TJ Watt, uh, Michael Parsons, you know, Nick Bosa, they're always going to have those plans. But today I thought they were really, really, really on it. Um, executed it really well uh jason peters on the last drive had him one-on-one a couple times and just just held up i guess sometimes it really is a scheme but also sometimes guys just gotta win and i thought they were they were really good i mean even speaking of the plan even on the sack on the sack colby chips um and then charles picks him up one-on-one like that's that's kind of the best you can kind of hope for it was third and long it was like third and 11 right so he has got to hold the ball a little bit they give a tight end help, and they have him against their best pass blocker in Charles. What else are you going to do? Like, I don't even think that's huh. the, the scheme of the coaching's fault. That's putting your players in position. They just did not uh, get it done, you know. So I thought the plan on Miles was really good. The execution was really good. I can't wait to watch the All-22 and get a real good feel for it. But I went back and watched some plays today, and I looked at all the different ways they blocked them up. Interior, left tackle, right tackle, chip help, double team with tight ends, double team with the, the guard. and the t- Like, it was just – they were like, we're not going to let 95 wreck this game. And that was that was uh, Rail's really good plan and really good execution today. This next one comes from Paul Martin at P. Martin K to Texas. Is Gino forcing the ball to DK and throwing to him too often when he isn't open? Or do the Seahawks just not know how to best use DK? So, Paul, Paul's a frequent asker, I believe. I feel like I hear yes. that P. Martin K to Texas um, quite, a, quite a bit. So, thank you. Um, no, I don't, I don't think he's forcing it to him. I mean, you look at some of these. Um, the, the one like bad one I thought, and even then it's, I I would put bad in quotes was the final throw to DK. Like we scrambling and throws it uh, while Denzel Ward is back is to him. Like, I feel like they've tried that in a couple games now. Um, and after they got it against the giants, they're like, we're just going to try it every week. 
now and you know so they should they should stop doing that because other people have seen that film they they know <laughs> when dj they know when dk is playing possum like these corners are, are, are very smart guys they watch film um so outside of that i thought most of the throws to dk were fine here's the thing about targeting dk um a couple of the balls were just bad today this was probably gino's worst day just flat out with, with accuracy a couple of those just dk just had no chance um and guys were open uh uh, and additionally, though, he he so seldom gets single coverage that I can understand Gino's desire to be like, all right, if we get the look, I'm going to 14. Like, I have actually no problem with that because he, you guys, you guys can't necessarily see all the time. But there's a lot of attention paid to DK uh, by these defenses, even defenses that feel like they have really good corners, uh, like the Browns lead with Martin Emerson and uh, Denzel Ward. They're still rotating safeties over. They're still clouding DK's side. You know, when he's lined up in the slot, they're still sliding underneath, you know, someone whether it's a nickel or a linebacker. So, like, getting the one-on-one ops, I can easily see why Gino's like, yo, I'm going to take those. Early on in the game, I didn't even think any of them were that bad. You know, a couple end zone fades, that's fine. Throw an end zone fade to DK, 6-4. That's fine. Uh, He just didn't win them. Uh, Interception, uh, I think it's just a bad ball no matter who you're throwing that to. Um, Yeah, I think – I don't think he's forcing it to him in that way, especially when you look around the league, you can see when somebody's forcing the ball. Like you can see when like a Jalen Hurts forces it to AJ or when Kirk Cousins forces it to Justin Jefferson or even Tyreek getting the ball forced to him by Tua Tungvaluwa. Like you can kind of smell those. I don't, I'm not smelling those um, with DK. The interception against the Bengals was bad. Um, that was. I think that probably is not an interception that DK keeps running his route. Um, but generally speaking, like today, I, I thought – it was some bad fortune, but I thought mostly good reads because when DK gets one on one, you that's when you have to go to him because those uh those moments are really rare, particularly in the red zone. Like DK should if DK leads the league in end zone targets or red zone targets, that's fine. That's DK Mecca. Gave him seventy million dollars. He's six four. Like that's that's the scenario you're looking at. But no, I don't I don't think he's uh specifically forcing it to DK out of like DK complaining for the ball or some mandate behind the scenes. No, I just think. Hmm. He's just he's either just missing or making some decent reads to DK and it's just not happening. This next one comes from Kevin Tran. Second half woes on the offense. What do you think they are doing in the first half that they are not executing in the second? Yeah, that's a good question. And I we've talked about this on the show before, Chris, but uh I think we even had a player speak to it. Um halftime is not that long and um, oh, you know what? I think it must have been we had Matt Barrows on, who covers the Niners. Yeah, he told um, us the story guys, about that. When you guys get a chance, uh, Matt Barrows, type in just Matt Barrows 49ers locker room story or something like that on Google or The Athletic or whatever. Matt got to be in the, the locker room with the Niners, I believe, when they beat the Bucks last year, like at halftime. Crazy access. But I, I bring that up to say halftime is not a ton of adjustments. Like I think halftime's only 12 minutes. So uh, you get in there, you guys get taped up, whatever they eat, they check their phone, they take a dump, like they do all these other things besides just fix everything in like four minutes or whatever. So I said to say, I don't think Shane just forgets how to call plays, you know, at halftime. I don't think he's doing that. I think overall um, their execution wanes. And I really think it's just one or two guys each time. Sometimes it's just Gino making a bad read. But sometimes you're seeing guys miss blocks. Sometimes you're seeing guys run the wrong route. Like, I think, pretty sure, JSN runs the wrong route on that uh, third and short that almost looks like a pick six. Looks like Geno's just is just doesn't know how to play football. No. I, Pete said expects, that, yeah. Oh, Pete did? Okay, cool. Yep. I'm glad Pete confirmed that. Yeah, JSN ran the wrong route. 
<laughs> so he throttled down against the zone when he was wasn't supposed to, or at least Gino didn't think he was. Like that's not uh doesn't that's not anything to do with Shane, right? Like I don't think it's just play calling. I think they have a lot of stuff that goes wrong, a lot of missed assignments, um, a missed block here, a missed throw there. Um, some of it today, I thought was really good plays by the Browns. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention. It ain't just the Browns' front line that's been co- contributing to them being a really good defense. Their DBs are solid. Like, really, really, Martin Emerson can play. Denzel Ward, he can play. You know, um, Greg Newsom, I think he got hurt. He's like their nickel guy. He can play. Like, they got dudes over there. Like, I think Chris Wynn was in the first half. Gino throws a fade ball to lock it. I think it's Newsom that just boxes out lock it on the sideline you know that's dang that nothing to do with shame <laughs> that's just a really good play uh by a, a a really good db i think that's the kid at northwestern he's a solid kid so um i do think here's something we can all agree on if you run the ball better particularly in the second half you don't have these problems you don't have to throw and catch and connect on and be in sync on those type of thing chris let me see how many how many times they ran the ball to the running backs in the second half of this game? Let's see. Let me filter this out in real time. So in the second half of this game, Ken Walker had three carries for 15 yards. Zach had two for 33. Damn, two for 33 is great. Um, but that's just not enough. That's not enough. You got to run the ball and run the ball better uh, in this in the second half. That'll fix a lot of things. You see how great Geno was on play action today? Mm. He was nails on play action today, uh, except for the one on third and short where Noah just wasn't open. Um, again, a play call that was nothing to do with Shane. Noah didn't get open. You know, well, that actually you goes, on that one? Yeah, that actually goes back to, remember last week, maybe two weeks ago, someone asked, hey, why not just give max protection? And that is why you don't do max protection. Because on that scenario, on that scenario, the Seahawks had max protection. But the problem was there was only two routes being ran. So when they did the max protection and the two routes were running, if the two routes are covered, where is Gino going to go with the football? And there's someone chasing right. him. That was the problem. And that's why the Seahawks don't always do max protection. You don't see that too often. In that case, the Seahawks are hoping that one guy is going to break loose. But in that scenario, no. The Browns didn't fall for it. They stayed sound. They stayed in their area. They followed their man. And they locked it up. And Gino had to throw it away. So that goes back to... Yeah, maybe a play call issue. You could say, man, you shouldn't have called that. But at the same time, when you got Miles Garrett on the D-line and they're probably going to blitz you here and you come out in 13 personnel, in this scenario, you probably want to get a nice play fake and hopefully one guy can get open or two. But in that scenario, they didn't. So that could be a reason why in certain scenarios, it's not really on the play call. It's just, damn, that was just a great read by the defense. They didn't fall for it. We're out the punt here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and I'm I'm re-watching that play right now. I mean, yeah, it's 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 just not there. I mean, he could have forced it, and maybe based on where the safety is, I think that's Grant Delpit, another good DB. That's the other thing. There's some good DBs over there. Um, maybe Delpit gets ha- called for holding um, if Noah sells it a little bit. But, yeah, I think it's, some of the play calling was not the issue. Um, you guys know we've been crit- critical of some of the play calling on, on the show. Uh, I'd have to really go back and look at some of the All-22, which I don't have access to um right after the games but i thought some of it and this is not just this game some of the previous games it's something different each time it's the if think about it if if everyone does the right thing all the right let's say it's third and seven right second half all the right routes are being ran gino's ready to make the right read and the left guard misses his block well now it looks like the offense stinks right like that's that's it like that's that's the reality. Even on that play we just talked about, it was third and one. That means they got nine. They were averaging four and a half yards per play on the drive before they got to third and one. Executing fine. Sometimes the other team makes good plays. Um, I think that if you look at this game in a vacuum, it's easy to say that. Big picture, though, I, I, I am legit concerned about uh, the offense, um, not just in the second half, because uh, today they stunk in the second quarter. You know, they score all their points in the first quarter, not just the first half, the first quarter in the second quarter. That's why I don't I don't try to make too much of the halftime thing, um, even though they haven't. That was their first what first touchdown in the second half since week three. Um, So I see that. But like, really, I just think that the execution just wanes for whatever reason. Um, More than it's the play calling, I think some of the execution has been rough, particularly up front. But today I thought it was. Um, much better. I think today was more more than anything. Like if you just scrap the other games from the sample, if you look just at this game, I think the biggest thing today was playing against one of the best, if not the best defense in football. This next one comes from Luke Thompson. Thoughts on Zach Charbonnet over Kenneth Walker late in games? Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, I don't know if that just automatically means they're going to run the ball better if you go with Zach over Ken, because Ken was good today too. Um, what it can what it can have today? Let me filter out this whole game. Ken had he had eight for sixty six. That's that's it. wow. That's it. Yeah, eight carries. Jesus. Um, but that's a fine number. Like I think Ken Ken's fine. I think either one of them they're fine with. I will say Zach is making the most out of the limited touches that he gets. Yeah. Zach is 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 doing his thing. Like Zach, I think is one of the most efficient runners in the NFL. Among guys who have gotten like 25 carries, uh, running back specifically, um, I think Zach is, I think, like top 10 in EPA per rush, which if you're not a big stat nerd, that's basically Zach's really efficient every time he touches the ball. Um, And he's like top five in success rate, which, again, just hear that as, oh, Zach does a lot when he gets the ball. Um, So I'm cool with whoever. But, yeah, I'm on the – even though I'm a Ken Walker fantasy owner, um, my team sucks, though, so it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm on the I'm I'm very cool with Morris Charbonnet. I think his runs in the four, in the second half were really good. He can catch. Um, he 
he's just as good at Cannon making guys miss. He just does it a different way. So even if you check it down to him and there's a guy in front of him, I trust Zach to go run over that guy um, and put his head down and get keep his feet moving. So, yeah, I thought – I don't think the uh, Zach's like the new closer, quote-unquote. Um, but if anything, I think what Zach has probably made a good case for is to be more of a third down back over DJ. That's probably who I where I was most intrigued because DJ is usually their two minute guy, and you saw with the game on the line they were like we're gonna put in our rookie. Uh, that that was I thought stood out more than just putting him in over Ken. So that'll be something interesting to watch going forward if Zach starts to get more third down looks because he's he's just you know he's good at it. He can block, he can catch. If they need to just like sneak a run in there, he's good. So that's probably how we should look at that. Uh, that Zach was kind of stealing some snaps from DJ, not Ken. This next one comes from Joan, J-O-M-2-5-3. Why are 12 so hard on Geno Smith? His story is inspiring. He's humble, not perfect. But when he makes one or two mistakes a game, everybody starts giving up on him immediately. Yeah, I think it's a little unfair. Like with quarterbacks, I mean, you earn that. You're the quarterback, right? You touch the ball every play, so it's, you know, people are looking at you. Um you know, you get a lot of credit when you guys do well, and you get a lot of blame when you guys don't. So I think that's just part of the job. It's kind of like being the head coach um, in that regard, too. You're just right there a step below the head coach in, in that in that aspect. I think the other part is it's very easy to see when Gino did something bad and not as easy to see just via the broadcast when he does something amazing. Um, sometimes it's really simple, like looking at the play – Hearing the mic identification, like, you know, if you hear on the broadcast, oh, such and such is the mic. Hearing that and maybe saying Gino going up and be like, oh, wait a minute. No, actually, he's the mic, you know, changing that, getting him into the right run play, making the right read or right adjustment on the fly that we can't always know because it's something behind the scene. Like it's it's I think that's part of it. The other part is some of these throws just as bad, you know, the interception to JSN and Cincy is just bad. You know, that, yeah. that's why. Um the botch snap between him and Olu last week was bad. Uh, the throw to J uh, to Jake Bubble that got picked uh, last week against the Cardinals was bad. Some of these throws are just bad. That's why. And also all that stuff about inspiring and his story and all that that was cool last year. He's not a make a wish kid. Like they gave him a hundred million dollars uh, in the off season, or at least gave him a hundred million dollar contract. Um, yeah, that comes with a, a heightened level of scrutiny. You're not the lovable underdog anymore. They, the I ain't right back, dude. Now you're the like, all right, go perform like a top 10 guy, dude. So he's, he's judged differently um, and, and fairly. That doesn't mean like he's the worst quarterback ever and it's true lock time every time he messes up. That's silly. Uh, but, yeah, I think there's there's reasons to – it's fair reasons to be hard on him. He's not playing as good as he did last year. He's making some really bad mistakes. The, the play today, he needed to see the – defensive tackle dropping into the hook you got to see that you're the quarterback i don't even know if noah would have caught that anyway but that's just a bad we're talking about the tipped interception by the way but yeah that's just it's i think it's very fair that he's he's uh under so much scrutiny the final thing if gino's play looks really bad it feels really bad if you're only comparing it to gino's play from last year guys i gotta tell you relative to the rest of the league gino's playing like well above average ball quarterback play is just down this year i mean really outside of let's workshop this real quick chris outside of baltimore and miami how many teams are like over the moon about how their quarterback is playing right now it's like not many search justin herbert's name during a chargers game like you know my home 
Mahomes had the, his flu game today, so like maybe they let maybe they're letting that slide in Kansas City. I don't know. I have not looked at how they are reacting to that. But I mean, just if you're just looking at the guys who got paid this offseason, look how Daniel Jones, look at the Daniel Jones discourse over there. Look at how Broncos fans feel about Russ. I know they won today, but big picture. During a Saints game, go, go Twitter search Derek Carr's name during while the Saints uh. are playing. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> a lot of these quarterbacks under have very heavy scrutiny and the numbers are just down like guys aren't as efficient i mean i don't know that many buffalo bills fans i imagine they have to be very frustrated sometimes watching josh allen sometimes he looks like the second coming and sometimes he looks like a dunce like it's very it's very volatile you know so uh, it's not it's not just gino maybe maybe in cincinnati they're they're thrilled maybe those are the three cincinnati baltimore and miami um oh and in philly but even then there's a lot of complaints about philly's oc um right now the new guy so like there's not that many teams thrilled about how their QBs are playing. Geno's playing above average ball. It's, it's it's not as good as he could be, but I do think not everyone understand everyone not understanding how QB play can be relative sometimes is part of why it's like, wow, let's put Drew Locke in. It's because y'all not watching these Cowboys games when Dak struggles in the red zone. Y'all not watching these Eagles games when they have one of the worst red zone offenses in the league, in part because of the quarterback. There's a lot like everyone's not seeing every game. So I think that's part of fair or not. I think that is part of why the Geno evaluations in Seahawks land are so tough. This next one comes from Andrew Cordy Simpson. I'm not a football expert by any stretch, but with JSN and Bobo, how can the Seahawks not unlock more third down conversions? Where did the tight end game go? Thanks. Love from Vancouver. Appreciate that. Oh, oh there we go. Hey, wow. You think that's from, you think that's from Canada or you think yes. Vancouver? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Canada. Yep. Okay. Cool. Not Vancouver, Washington. Washington. Okay. Cool. Just wanted to specify there. Shout out to the love from Canada. Appreciate that. Um, I think the answer to the question is in the question. Where'd the tight end production go? You just named JSN and Jake Bobo. Everybody can't catch the ball. You know, you guys got to ask yourselves, would you rather Will Disley and Colby Parkinson catch the ball or Jake or Jake Bobo and JSN? It just can't be both. You, at least not to have a big impact. Colby might catch a ball here and there. Noah might catch a ball here and there, but you got four really good or at least potentially good receivers. You know, Jake's out here winning one-on-ones. JSN's out here making the screen game work all by damn near all by himself. Uh, you know, Tyler's Mr. Reliable, another great toe tap in the end zone. You know, DK draws all the attention in the world from the other team's best corners. Like somebody's not going to catch the ball now. That's yeah. unfortunately for Will Disley, that's him. I don't I can't remember last time Will caught a ball. Not no fault of his own. That's just the reality of the situation when there's so many mouths to feed. They kind of have that problem in Philly right now, too, um, with trying to feed Goddard and Devontae Smith while also throwing it to A.J. Brown 20 times a game uh, and also getting DeAndre Swift his touches. Like, like sometimes the good teams just have have these have these issues. So uh, that's it's not as if Shane Waldron's like, ah, I don't know, man. I'm not about to drop nothing for the tight ends this week. Nah, man, he's a former tight ends coach. He'd love to do that. You see, he got the tight ends in the backfield every play and stuff. But the reality is, they got their 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 top four wide receivers is just um, is it, just solid. So I think that the more Jake, the more Bobo and more JSN is the less you know, less of the tight ends, uh, which I think is is probably fine because like the, the question again, that's how you're going to convert on third downs is those guys winning one on one matchups. I think those guys are all more likely to win their one on ones. Um, you we already know Bobo is. We know DK can. We know Lockett can. Uh, sorry, quick pivot. Chris, did they show the replay of Lockett's route on a play that was negated by uh, 
hands to the face on Evan Brown. It was the Evan Brown or Dilu. They didn't show that. No, I'm guessing oh. it was Icky. Oh man, it was like a hard, like he stabbed inside, like he's about to run a slant or something, and just stuck his leg in the in the ground and turned the other way. DB was lost. Beautiful. When the all all twenty two comes out, I'll tweet it. Um, it was great, great play. But like, we know those guys are going to win their one on ones. Um, yeah. but I think Gino's going to need time to get there too. So I think that's that's what goes into third downs. But if you're wondering where the tight end usage is going, your answers are Jake Bobo and JSN. This next one comes from the homeboy. Kemwell Santana at Santana underscore speed trackster. Can we keep winning like this? Why are we going away from the run in DK? Has seen an increase in targets, but catch rate is low. Why does it seem like Gino doesn't get him catchable passes? Whereas with Lockett and JSN and Bobo, he gets it on the money with those guys. Um, I mean, he's thrown interceptions throwing to literally everybody this year. So I don't think it's just DK. Although, let me check DK's uh, catch rate because it I, I was meaning to check that because it does seem very low. Um, just just watching the games, I'm like, damn. Like, I think at one point in the game today, all of Geno's interceptions were throws to DK, um, which was kind of funny. Wow, 58%. That's really low. Yeah, that's around there with like uh, – who's around here? That's 117th out of 139 wow. qualified receivers. Oof. That is tough. There's some good players here towards the bottom, though. I mean, Cooper Cup's at 55%. Uh, Amari Cooper's at 51. T. Higgins is at 45. Kyle Pitts at 58. D. Hop at 58. So, and Mike Evans at 60. Uh, so, and DK is not the only one maybe suffering from that. Again, it's relative. Look at all these other good pass catchers who are in that ballpark too. Part of it yeah. is something we don't always consider, but I like reminding people the other team's best corners are on DK. <laughs> that that's why it's so important for other guys to be able to win their one-on-ones because you're going up against other rookies or guys off practice squads or guys who's playing because somebody blew their knee out the week before. Whereas the other guy, the other DK is getting the other team's best coverage dude damn near all the time. You know, um, so I think that's that goes into why you see some number one receivers have really low catch rates. Let me see if there's someone like some really high guys up here. I mean, Devontae Adams is only at 64. Uh, Terry McLaurin at 66. Let me see who's up near the top. Lockett's at 71. This is a percentage of uh, reception percentage, by the way, if anyone's curious. I'm just, I'm just rattling off numbers, so I know that can get confusing. Yeah, I mean, most of these guys, up to, the, high, the guys who are highest are tight ends, running backs, and Adam Thielen. Who's <laughs> at 81% somehow. Oh, and, and CeeDee Lamb was at 82%. Travis Kelsey is a tight end, 79%. Uh, let me Before we move on, let me see where Tyreek Hill is. Uh, oh, damn, Tyreek's at 70. But he is good. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think part of that is the guys he's up against, man. Like, because he's not going up against, like, Jalen Ramsey's every week, but you got to think about the mindset of some of these dudes who are going up against DK. For them, this is their time. It's like, yo, I'm I'm here. I'm about to shut 14 down. That's how I'm about to get paid. You know, Cam Taylor Britt of the Bengals, shout out DK the whole game. It was his birthday, you know, and I think that was it was his first time playing um, DK, right? So who had made some comments about how Spoon was going to get the best of Jamar. So, like, you know how, like, you talk trash and somebody else got to back it up? Like, DK sometimes got to handle it got to deal with that whereas the other receivers don't have to deal with that so I, I i think that would explain part why it looks like every time gino throws to dk the ball end up on the ground or something like that this next one comes from 
at a underscore Stewart 51. Do you think JSN's game winning touchdown will be the turning point to where he really starts heating up from here on out? That's a good question. I think the turning point already happened. Um, I put it in my, my story today, but JSN in their last three games has 11 catches for 147 yards and two touchdowns. He's, he's, He's ready. He's here. Does it all after the bye week, by the way. Um, so maybe something clicked on the bye week. I don't think it was that. Um, but if it was, clearly something has turned around. Part of that, I'm sh- of course, is playing a game without DK, so he got more targets. But still, uh, that's good production. Eleven catches for a buck forty-seven and two and two tugs. Like that's including a game winner. Um, he's converting some third downs for them. Screen game yards have to catch stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I think. I think something clicked uh, in the game after the uh, bye, which was the Bengals. I think something clicked there. Like he was getting open. Gino was getting him the ball. Bobo too. So uh, I think I get where you're going with that, with the game winner being kind of the springboard. No, I think the springboard was whatever happened after the bye. They've clearly made more of a concerted effort to get JSN in more advantageous situations and then silly little out routes that they were running in the first. No. Get him the ball where he can get in space. He's doing his part, making guys miss. G- JSN went into the bye week having forced zero missed tackles. Now he's forcing more. You know, so uh, I think I think the, the the transition started a few weeks ago in Cincinnati, and now we're just seeing how dangerous this guy has the potential to be as a third option. Like as a third option, he's he's looking really solid. This next one comes from Hawks in a blue sky. Did the Seahawks execute a screenplay just to freak everyone out for Halloween, or is it in the repertoire to stay? Man, I gotta give it to I'm, you guys. Can't see some of you guys can't see it if you're just watching. I just took my hat off on the show. Take my hat, tip of the cap, tip of the cap to Shane Waldron. You have figured it out. You figured out how to run a screen pass while being the coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks. Round, come on, I gotta clap that up. I got to clap that up. That is beautiful stuff, Shane. That is beautiful. I, I wish I had Shane's number. I would text him right now. I'm um, be like, dog, you, you did it. You did it. And he would know exactly what I'm talking about. I wouldn't even get no context. I would just be like, dog, you did it. You know, <laughs> uh, even if even if he didn't have my number, I'm just going to say that. Hoping, hoping he just assumes that it's that it's from me because that Chris, they're doing it every week now. They have kind of they have figured and it, Chris, it was so bad. I don't have the numbers on where they are as a screen team relative to the rest of the league. But the eye test is telling me that they have gotten so much better at it now. And see, this you game, wanted to give up. I did. I did want to give up for good reason, though. For good reason. For good. It just didn't seem like it was working. Um, what they should do is steal some of them joints that the Browns are running. <laughs> they ran three straight and scored, Mike. I ain't never seen that before. I've not, I, I brought a DM my editor uh, in the middle of the game. I said three straight screens. I ain't never seen that. One to the Three left, straight screens, or two for, to the left, wasn't it? It was, uh, yeah, I think two to the left. Hold on, I and then down the one, they, they faked left and to the right, and then they threw it to Njoku. I said, "Damn, screens they ran three straight win. screens for they ran run the hunt for twelve yards, one to Pierre Strong for forty. I think I think Jordan Brooks got held on that, but either way, they didn't call it. Um, and then the eighteen yard touchdown to, to Njoku." Three straight plays. I think that's what seventy something yards. Uh, that's crazy. <laughs> I ain't never seen nothing like that. And then they broke another big one uh, to Njoku. I think for like forty. They got over a hundred yards today on screens. Uh, on screens. <laughs> Let me see how much did. What did PJ throw for? 
PJ threw for 248. Over, I would probably guess 50% of that is screen passes. That's nuts. That's a lot of screen pass production. So maybe the Seahawks need to steal it from them. But no, I do think Shane has figured something out. I do think the key, and Chris, I'm pretty sure we've talked about this, is to stop involving the linemen. They couldn't, they just couldn't get the timing. They can't get right out there. Them. Yeah, with, with timing that up to letting the linemen, the defensive linemen come through, getting the offensive linemen out there, blocking it up. It just was not working. I think they did get one of those today um, in the first half to JSN after like third. Yeah, after D. Eskridge's fly sweep. Uh, no comment. Um, they get those yards back with a, a kind of more traditional screen, but I'm I'm way more in fan of the the ones where the lead blockers are the receivers because they have a really willing group of blockers. Like if J if Jake Bobo and DK are the lead blockers on a screen for JSN, that's cash. Those are two big old receivers ready to throw guys out the club. So I think like, more claps for Shane. You figured it out, big dog. You did it. Dog, you did it. Kudos to you. Keep it up and make sure you steal whatever the Browns were doing going forward because those were fire screen designs. Do you remember when, well, of course you remember, when we had on Nick Baumgartner and I asked him straight up, what's up with the Seahawks screen game? And he broke down. Well, to be honest, they they just can't get out there. They're not athletic enough, which was crazy to hear because you look at some of the Seahawks old linemen, they're athletic. Charles Cross, he's really athletic. But as a unit, they just couldn't figure it out. And to your point, when you got Jake Bobo, DK Metcalf, they're willing blockers. We've seen Jake Bobo in motion, okay, to, to set blocks. He will go chip a D in and then move up his way to go get the corner or the safety. And he's pretty good at that. He's money. Maybe this week I'll find a – that'll be one of my plays of the week where Jake does that. I mean, hell, he scored on Sunday against the Browns. They ran that same motion, but this time they said, here you go, Jake, why don't you just run it in? And he was able to score. So, yeah, screens are here to stay, baby. Imagine if Shane would have gave up on them. Seahawks would not have scored a touchdown, Mike. <laughs> yeah, well, they could have scored. It could have scored, but yeah, it wouldn't have been like that. And you just you just see how the screen game is so beneficial to getting the ball out of Geno's hands. The game winner is just such a great example today. Such a great example. They had no. It took Miles Garrett out the game. You know, mm. on the game winning play, it happened that so fast that Miles Garrett could not impact the game. That is that's. That's putting your team in position to succeed. Also, Juan Thornhill to probably just his feet just stuck in the dirt on that. But yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know, Seahawks took advantage. But yeah, the screen, shout out to Shane, man. You did it, dog. This next one comes from Young Slick X, player of the game from the offense and the defense. Um, Another frequent question asker, I'm pretty sure. The yep. Young Slick X sounds familiar. Yes, shout, out to, mm-hmm. shout out to you. Appreciate the love. Um, let's see. Let's, let's workshop this, Chris. I, I struggled with this even when I when I read the questions. The question, <laughs> yeah. Beforehand, I, offense was just so so shaky. Um, I do. I, I, this is gonna sound crazy. I kind of want to. Kind of want to give it to DK. Um, on offense, Here, here's my. At least he had two of my favorite plays, and the two favorite plays don't even involve him getting the ball. I do think as much as it has been made and rightfully so of DK's attitude and his like, uh, yeah, it's just attitude um, about his role in the, uh, in the offense. And I think uh, he rubbed some people the wrong way with his press conference ahead of the uh, Cardinals game, where he talked about how he wasn't going to change how he plays uh, despite the penalties. He didn't care what Pete Carroll said about the penalty board. It felt very, 
hey, dude, you know, there's no I in team-ish, you know? Um, and and that, that was all very fair criticism in that regard. Some of the other criticism overblown. Anyway, for, but as much as there was focus on DK's attitude, look on the final drive of the game. Who's lead blocking for Noah's 27-yard catch and run? Who's mm. lead blocking for JSN's game winner, right? Like, that's those are unselfish plays to help the team win that don't got nothing to do with him getting all the glory. Right? You get no stats for blocking, you know, at least, you know, like you just don't. And he, he did that. So I think um, not just that those were good plays. I think in the context of kind of the, 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 the DK discourse, for lack of a better phrasing, that would probably be uh, mine because it's very easy to just go catch the ball and score, like to be the hero. But to get in there and say, no, I'm this play is not for me, but I'm going to block my butt off because it's what the team needs me to do. I thought that was that was good. Uh, that without watching the whole game back, that would probably be who I show shed some light on on offense. What you got? For me, I will go with Gino. And the reason I'll okay. go with Gino is because he knows he struggled. There were times the camera was on him and you could just see it on his face. Just I effed up. I, I didn't do my job as the quarterback and get us points. But at the end of the game, when it all mattered, he and the offense delivered. And he believed. And if he was still in his funk and wasn't as confident and gun-shy, we're not having this discussion about the Seahawks' victory in throwback fashion. That's just mm -hmm. not up for discussion. But Gino was able to understand the scenario, understand that he's the leader, and he led them to a game-winning victory. So I would, I'll go Gino. Defensively, Mike, who you got? I can get with that. Man, defense is tough because this is everybody's making plays on this defense right now. Um, I literally liked what I saw from Reek. Um, Jordan Brooks played played out of his mind um, again, and it was just so many good plays. I think I will go with. I think I'm gonna go with Boye. Um, this is more like of a lifetime achievement award type thing, but I just think Boye is just so locked in. I don't know if they showed a replay of his sack, um, like a slow-mo. Boy, he does that lineman so bad um, to get that fifth sack in as many games. So um, he's really locked in. Like, he is their edge one, meaning, like, he is their number one guy, and he was when Chenna got hurt, too. Um, yeah. Boye is just – he's just stepping up. He, the, the the year one to year two leap is going crazy. Um Shout out to him. I think that would probably be on a day when a lot of guys had splash plays. I think Boye was just really, really, really locked in uh, in the run and in the pass. Like he has some QB hits on top of the sack. Like he recovers the fumble that Jordan Brooks creates. Um, he had another TFL um, on third and two, I want to say, um, before the Browns went for it. So, yeah, I think on D, I'm going to go with Boye. If you won't take him. I will take him. Give me Jordan Brooks. I thought he played lights out. He responded well after not having the best start he would want he would want he would have wanted last week. But I think on Sunday against the Browns, he played a hell of a game all four quarters for the most part and strip sack, made a few splash plays. So I'll I'll give the nod to Jordan Brooks on Sunday against the Browns. That's that's another good pick. Yeah. Jordan is you really can't go wrong. You can pick Jamal if you want. Like just so they everyone contributed today to to making stuff happen. This next one comes from Larry Collins. Who or what position group will have the biggest impact and or need to make the biggest improvements to ensure the Seahawks go four and three or better over the next seven games? 
It's a good question. Um, I think it's the it's the it's not a position group, but it's it's the quarterback. I think like it's just it's time for Gino to play a clean game. Like it's really mm-hmm. not that tough of an ask, I don't think. I mean, I know interceptions are part of the game, but I think it's more than fair to 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 ask him to go a game. Just don't put the ball in harm's way, you know? Mm-hmm. Give your guys a chance. Like some of the guys haven't had chances on um some of these interceptions, you know? Um, like if you get one, some sometimes interceptions are unlucky. Uh, you know, you th- you throw one up or something gets gets batted at the point of attack or something like that. Like, nah, some of these are just some of these are just it's bad throws. And I think you gotta it's gonna start with him, man, because it's not getting much easier in terms of DB play and pressure coming. Like the Ravens are real deal, you know. Assuming the commanders don't trade everybody, their D line is gonna force you into some stuff. Now the, the commander DBs are just that's 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 not good over there. But like they, they're you're gonna have pressure on you. The Cowboys, Jesus, they hooping. Deron Bland is playing all pro ball. Remember that name before the Cowboys came. Deron Bland, number 26. Um, the Niners, we know what they're doing. So um, yeah, I, I think it's it's gotta be the quarterback, man. If he plays better, the whole thing I think is gonna work a lot smoother. Um, the whole team will just look better. Um, if 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 the quarterback is not putting his offense behind the chain or putting his offense in tough spots by not helping them out. And he won't be putting the defense in tough spots. So yeah, th- this stretch is going to be really key for a lot of position groups, but if I had to pick one, it's definitely quarterback. I'm looking at, looking at Gino for the next month or two. And I'll add this. I don't think too many more players are going to drop pick sixes. That's back-to-back weeks, dudes. Back to back. Yeah. There's going to come a week. Well, that's actually going to be a pick six. If yep. he continues yeah. to throw it in harm's way, no one, there's not going to be too many. Oh, it's going to be house. And then that's going to be either a nail for that game or Gino's going to have to really fight hard. And that defense going to have to make a couple of plays. Cause yeah, that's back to back weeks. Dudes are like, can't, you know, hands like feet. That's, that's usually not how it happens. So he's run, he's going to run out of luck eventually. So hopefully he can get rid of that. Yep. This 100%. next one comes from, oh, go ahead. No, no, you're right. I was, yeah, hundred percent. You're right. This next one comes from Mookie Alexander. Is it possible that this year's rookie group is looking even more impactful than last year's? What's up, Mookie? Uh, that's another frequent. We're getting a lot of frequent people today, man. Appreciate the Absolutely. love. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no. This is a fun question, but no. Um, although I am going to write about the rookies this week because the, the rookie class is slowly coming to get like with JSN coming together. Spoon was already doing his thing and continues to. I love Spoon's energy. I also love, you guys can probably see it a little bit when he does press conferences, the contrast between Spoon on the field by the, and then the versus by the time we get to him. He is the most subdued, laid back, calm guy in front of a camera. And on the field, he's like a Tasmanian devil. The contrast is just crazy. But between, so you got him coming along. Uh, or you got him doing his thing, defensive rookie of the uh, defensive rookie of the year candidate, JSN coming along now, Bobo doing his thing, uh, two touch, what's he got, two touch, three touchdowns uh, on the year, uh, Jake does. So you got Jake doing his thing, Charbonnet, not a lot of raw numbers, just really efficient right now. D Hall, Cam Young, Olu, uh, not a, as many opportunities, uh, particularly in Cam Young's place. But you got A.B., Anthony Bradford playing a ton. Um, so I think 
got some potential there, but yeah, I remember in the 2022 class, at least just as rookies, you had two guys be finalists for the player of the year. Mm. Like that, that's, that's a, that right there, just stop there. That's a tough bar. And on top of that, you found two starting caliber tackles, you know, and that's before you even get to Kobe Bryant um, and his role as a nickel. Um, so I, I think it's close, but I think the, the top end, like, like right now, Spoon is like defensive rookie of the year candidate, but Reek was last year and Ken was on the offensive side. That's that's really tough to top. So I think we're trending in a good direction, but that 2022 rookie class is just going to go down. It's just a very, very special group in a way that's going to be hard to top. This next one comes from AJ, excluding Gino. What's the most important position or position group for a winning NFL team? Okay. Oh, that's easy. Offensive line. Guys, every week we are reminded of how important offensive lines are, whether teams have a good game or a bad game. I think look at the final drive there. Like today was a really good example. Like Gino, the throws Gino made to win the game were not crazy throws. Like look at the 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 first one to Tyler. That is actually a good like he had time to get to the next read because the read is to his right. He comes all the way back across the field and finds Tyler on the crosser. That was, but he had time to do that. You know what time is usually pretty decent, but look at the throws. Uh, uh, he has time to hit an easy crosser. Um, the ball placement on the slant to DK was good. He threw it behind DK, but it was away from Denzel Ward. I thought that was actually really good. Um, but even then, it's not like a super difficult uh, play. Throw to Noah is just a simple little out route, you know, and even the, the game winner is just a, he threw that behind the line, you know. So uh, oh, he had time to do all those. Um, and I think, well, except for JSNs, that's just simple. But I think the uh, the O line, when you have a dominant O line, you can do damn near whatever you want. The Browns were showing that too. PJ Walker made some throws, but like we just said, half of them damn yards with screens. You know, um, when you got a good O line, you can run it, you can do the screen game, um, you can get creative, you can have any quarterback have time to make to make plays. So yeah, I thought uh, if if you're building a team, you give you give me the five. I could take the who's it, who Chris, would you say is like the 30th best quarterback right now in the league? Like Zach Wilson or something, probably like Tyrod or something. Somebody Some bad quarterbacks, but yeah, somewhere in that category. Yeah, somewhere too. in there, right? You give me give me Zach Wilson, but then give me whoever makes the give me every first team all 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 pro lineman from last year, put them in front of Zach. I can get you a we're we gonna win 10 games because I'm my offense is gonna be so cold. To the point where Zach can't even goof it up, like you know, shoot the Jets won today. Um, so uh, yeah, I think if you're building a team, you get five big boys who are just dominant, and you'll be able to cook. The funny thing is, when we play flag football, we used to have drafts where we would pick players. Obviously, we still do it, but in this scenario, there was a lot of fat men. So I would always tell the quarterbacks who would pick the teams, get you an old lineman first. I don't care who you get after that. But make sure whatever team I'm on has an old line. Because if I get on your team and the line is a bunch of guys all my height, well, who's going to play line? We have no line. So always draft the line. Always. And this, this makes perfect sense. If you have a stacked old line, it doesn't matter who's on the other side of the football. There's no no one's getting to the quarterback. There's no pressure. You can and drop you can run the ball with a good old line too. And you can run the ball. That's another thing. You well, do not in flag, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But for the purposes of this having a good old line can send you a long way 
Mm-hmm. To the Super How do you think Bowl, Mahomes is always in the Super Bowl? <laughs> Bingo. Some of the best old linemen in football have been playing for the Chiefs the last few years. Exactly. This next one comes from Robin L. at Soto First. Did you think the hands-to-the-face penalties on, oh, I almost said Tariq, on Reek and Spoon were justified? Um. Okay, so looking specifically at the hands-to-the-face, I know Chris has these up. I thought the uh, – well, this is the DPI on Reek. Uh, Chris is showing on the screen. It was against Amari Cooper on fourth down. I thought that one was just a bad call. The, 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 that one was easily a bad call. And, and I tweeted this in real time. It was really bad in the context of the game flow. They were letting the DBs on both sides and the wide receivers play for the most of the first part of that game. And all of a sudden, they call a really ticky-tack um, – D, uh, DPI on, on Reek, who, yeah, like, who doesn't do anything extra. Him and Mari Cooper just fight. So, I mean, like I said, Chris is showing that on YouTube right now, and I thought that was just a that's a terrible call. Like, even Amari Cooper knows that's not, uh, that's probably not DPI. Now, you go to the uh, the illegal hands to the face on Spoon, which was quite, I, I don't think the, the Browns ended up scoring on this drive, but man, that was huge. It was like second and 18. Um, on this and Trey Brown had just made a really good deep uh, PBU on that. Like it was really good. The issue with spoons is now nah, he got him in the helmet as that's, that's, that's tough. Uh, that's tough. You, you, even if they had been letting you guys play the way that they called the reek one, let you kind of know, all right, we got to chill out a little bit. Um, and he just got him smooth uh, in the face right off the line. And it sucks because, that was away from the play, and it didn't impact the play in any way. Just like the uh, the one on Reek and the final, on the I guess the second to last drive of the Browns, that too is a legit call. Um, I don't know what Pete Carroll is gonna have to say about those on Monday, but I thought in real time it was like kind of ticky tack. Then I watched like slow mos of both of them, um, and like Chris showed me slow mos of them. I was like, oh okay, you guys are getting them in the face. I do think part of the issue with um, Reeks was is just his height. He was so much taller than the other guy. I think he lines up against uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who I don't know how tall he is. Chris, you know how tall he is? Top of your head. Let me see. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. He's 6'2". So he's a little a little shorter than Reek. So when Reek puts his arm out, it's almost naturally around Donovan's kind of face area, especially when he, like, ducks down to break into his route. But, yeah, I thought, I thought the DPI was terrible. But I think the the legal hands is ticky tack. But after the reek play, you can kind of see like they had established, all right, we're going to be ticky tack today. And if they're going to be ticky tack the rest of the way, then I can see them calling the legal hands on reek and on spoon. This next one comes from at shade on season. What do y'all think of the defense's performance on Sunday against the Brown overall? I thought the defense. I thought the defense was really good. Um, I thought they handled their own. I thought keeping the Christian only haven't allowed a touchdown in the second half since week three. Yeah, I saw that. That's really, really hard to do. That's tough. So I thought they were, uh, they weren't like lights out. That's probably not the word for it. Um, but they were, they were really solid, man. They, they're like we talked about earlier in the show, they were putting some really tough spots, some short fields, some sudden change stuff, um, and just handled it. Even the final drive, like most defenses would probably go in that thinking, all right, let's force a punt. No, they were like, we want the ball and then got the ball. And they're like, that, that is what they thought because Clint Hurt tells them every day, 
our standard is three turnovers a game, you know, and that was their third one. Um, even in the final final drive, like they're just licking their chops at that point. At that point, you know the Seahawks are gonna eat when the other team has to throw to go win the game because you know at this point you just know Daryl Taylor is good for a sack <laughs> to, to end the game. Boy, doing it last couple of weeks. So um, yeah, I thought the defense played really solid again. That's a really good O line that they played good against. Um, I'm not really surprised that the uh, Browns were able to run the ball. That's a good a good run scheme that they got over there. But, yeah, I thought the defense did its part. The defense, put this way, the defense did enough for the Seahawks to win, and that's been the case for the last, like, every game except for Detroit, you know, Detroit and the Rams. So the last what, five games, I think the defense has done good enough for the Seahawks to win. I really don't have much to add, Mike. You're 100% right. Defense played lights out for the most part. The run game I thought was pretty good. I know they had a couple of plays where guys broke free, but I think they only averaged maybe four and a half yards a carry, which isn't great for the Seahawks defense. They've been really good at keeping guys within three and a half yards, if not less. So that was a little bit of difference, but that Cleveland Browns offensive line is pretty darn good. So I think the Seahawks just met their match, but for the most part, I thought the defense played well. The ticky tack penalties really hurt them in certain scenarios. So that's something they can try to clean up. Just, Hey, keep the hands down. Obviously the pass interference stuff that can be probably easily fixed. I think it's just a week by week basis on the officials and how they're officiating the game. If you get it early, you realize, okay, we can't touch nobody on Sunday versus oh, they're letting us play. And then hopefully they allow that throughout the remainder of the game. But I thought overall the defense was was money for the most part, which I guess we're not surprised there because that's what they've been doing this season. They've definitely stepped up to the challenge and have proven to be a worthy defense. Mm-hmm. To, quanti- to quantify what you just said before we go to the next one, the Browns running backs had 33 carries for 133 yards. So – um, that's that's exactly for a pop. So it's just like an okay day um, on the ground. Not stupendous. Not yeah. Not stupendous. Not bad. The Seahawks just did okay defending the run today. Like it's a really good O line. This next one comes from at Dennis Gill ten. What's going on with the run defense the past two weeks? I know Nuosu was out, but they should have enough depth. Uh, last week it was fine. Um, you had that um, the Josh Dobbs joint, which was really not. I don't think a scheme issue as much as like, bro. Ba- he bounced off Reek, and he bounced off Reek so hard he bounces around the Quandre, and I don't think that. And then like, I think they they were schemed up to. I think Jordan Brooks takes a false step too, um, on that play. So it's yeah, I, I don't think. And then otherwise, the run defense was solid in that game, because I I, the re- I don't have the number in front of me, but I'm pretty sure. I tweeted out that the Seahawks haven't really let anybody crack. They've only let a few people crack over 50 yards. And I think the leader in that game was that dude whose name started with an E and it's super long. Um, and he only had like 40 something yards or something like that. Um, so yes, uh, last week it was, it, it was fine today. Uh, I thought the, the, the O-line did a really good job um, keeping them out of negative runs. The Seahawks still had some, like plays for, uh, for the negative, but it wasn't many. Um, yeah, that, that DiMarcado, oh, his name his name is DiMarcado, the Cardinals guy. He had 13 for 58, which is not crazy. You know, Rondell Moore had four for 24. He's kind of more of a kind of gadgety dude. Uh, but overall, the Cardinals weren't able to move the ball super effectively. 
And then today, like I said, the, the, the numbers today were like, okay, it's like a good, good day for like for how many carries they had to put the Browns carries number in perspective. The Seahawks running backs had 13 carries and went for 119. That's uh. 9.2 yards a pop. <laughs> that, that is running the rock in terms of efficiency. Um, that's insane. They doubled the Browns yards per pop to the running backs. Um, so yeah, I, I think today was missing Chenna a little bit, but I also think it was a really good, that's a really good team that schemes up the runs. They've been really efficient running the ball, uh, particularly in the red zone. I think they're one of the better red zone run teams. So I don't think today was like a, oh, damn, here, here's what life is about to be like when they don't have Chenna. No, I, I just think that's what happens when you're playing some teams that actually know how to scheme it up pretty good. Um, then even then, a team that schemed it up pretty good got, you know, four yards a pop, which is not the end of the world. You know, 33 carries is a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think this is a, this was kind of what I expected from them. I didn't expect them to dominate either side of the ball against the Browns. The Browns are a good team with or without massage man. Like they are, they are a good team. So this is, this is about what I expected. I wouldn't, I'm not really overreacting to some of the stuff today, particularly since they, they performed pretty well. Um, all things considered. This next one is from Michael Doerr. Do the Seahawks still need to make a move before the deadline? No, I don't think so. I didn't see how much Frank played today. I think I think he rushed the passer 10 or 11 times. I, I honestly have not gone back and watched them. But I think the signing Frank, a familiar place, a familiar face, excuse me, putting him in a system with Clint Hurt, putting him next to Jaron Reed, asking him to primarily rush the passer, at least to start. I think I think that's enough to at least rule out trading for Montez Sweat or Chase Young. Because I think you do those if you like need a fourth guy to play like. 50% of your snaps. You don't need that from Frank. I think Frank played 20 snaps today out of 75, I think. So that's probably about how much you need Frank to play. That I think that Frank is costing them like half a mil too. So factor that in versus what it would cost on top of a draft pick or two to get Montez, Chase Young, um, Daniel Hunter, who I don't think the uh, Vikings are going to end up trading. Who knows? But I don't think so. I think the only one that would maybe make some sense is a Carl Lawson because that could probably get you. You can probably get him for like a pick swap. You guys have probably seen some of these trade compensations this year. They've been like a, a team will give up a player and then like a 2024 seventh round pick and then they'll get back like a 2025 sixth round pick or something like it's just a bunch of swaps. I, I think the team that gets Carl Lawson from the Jets will probably only have to give up something like that. But I don't think the Seahawks are in a dire need for that. Um unless Frank just stunk up the joint today or someone got hurt. And Chris, no one got hurt today. Like Pete said that after he was like, yo, he said, I don't have any names for you. He was so happy about that. Um, Damn so blame I, oh, that's huge. Against a physical team like that, that ran the ball 30 something times. Um, and you don't have no injuries on the other side of the ball. Um, that's, that's great. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would say, I, I think I'll be very surprised if they went after Montez, Chase, Daniel, um, pretty much anyone from the commanders. Um, I would be less surprised at the Carl Lawson thing because it, you know, this, you don't, you don't have to give up much to get him. But at the same time, I think they're pretty solid with, I think they think they're pretty solid with Frank D hall Boye, And um, why am I missing? Oh, Daryl Taylor, who's coming on has two and a half sacks the last two games. So, yeah. And I actually don't disagree with their stance on that, you know? So I would be surprised if they needed, 
I don't think they need to make a, a move anywhere. Tight end group solid. Running backs are healthy and solid. Receivers are stacked. You're obviously not going to trade for a quarterback. Edge is fine. I don't know why people keep suggesting they got to make a move with the interior tackle. I think they're fine. Still got one of the best run game defenses in the league. They're getting interior pressure with Draymond and Jay Reed. Decent, inexpensive backups with Cam Young and Mario Edwards. They're, they're fine there. Obviously, don't need any linebackers. Definitely don't need any corners. Safeties is every every safety is making plays. This is a really good roster, top to bottom, really good. So no, I would be surprised if they made a, a deadline move. They just don't need anybody. They don't. They don't need anybody. Uh, they're they're relatively healthy. Um, they Jason Peters can play now, so you don't really need a tackle if Abe's in, uh, injury lingers. I think this is a, this this is the roster. They don't need anybody else. They're good. This next one comes from Matthew Munt. Which defensive end slash edge has impressed you the most? Yeah, it's got to be Boye. Boye is like, his pressure numbers are really good. Damn the sacks for a second. Because one of those like a freebie against the Bengals, which happens. Everybody gets freebies. But Boye's number, he's it It looks the right way. Like if you're just, I actually sat next to, um, oh, you guys don't know this. I sat next today to Randy Mueller, you know, former GM of the Seahawks, um, who, you know, he, he executive here for a very long time but like drafted walter jones right like he's he knows what he's doing he's in, been in the game for so long so it was, it was like watching the game with a scout because randy you know used to scout and like you watch boye's his wins his, his pass rush wins that's what it's supposed to look like the violent hands the explosion how his upper body like he's built really top heavy super strong um yeah boye is on a tear i don't read too much into pass rush win rate it's a cool nugget that I like to throw out there when they update it on ESPN, but I'm pretty sure Boye leads the league in pass rush win rate. You know, that's tough. That's ahead of Miles Garrett, TJ Watt, Michael Parsons, Nick Bosa, every Bosa, you know, whoever else, Max Crosby, like the number one, I believe is it was going into this week. It was Boye. I imagine it will be Boye coming out of this week. So Boye is just on a tear. He's on a pro bowl uh, with track right now, which I, I did not expect that coming into this season. This next one comes from a very familiar face. Ryan Turner at turn 34. He wants to know, what are the two, one or two areas the coaching staff is building up as a pillar this team is going to lean on to carry through the rest of the season? One thing that they've been showing flashes of, and maybe I'll do this in our standout play segment, They've actually been really not actually. You guys saw it today. They've been creative running the ball. I, I thought um, they did a play. I think it was this week. May have been last week. Where like Zach Charbonnet kind of lines up diagonal from uh, Gino. Actually, like not not behind him in the pistol and not next to him in the shotgun. Yeah, catch like, didn't run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know. Um, I forget how that play went, but it was fun. Last week against the Cardinals, they had a play where. Uh, Shane ran 23 personnel, which is two running backs and then three tight ends. So there were no receivers on the field and they ran like a, a misdirection that ended up getting a first down uh, by Ken Walker. So like I've actually liked some of the stuff that they've done in the run game. That's on top of obviously Jake Bobo's touchdown today that you mentioned earlier, uh, Chris, like that's something I think they're going to need to lean on too. Um, particularly as they're going to go through more offensive line iterations, it'll be nice to take a little bit of pressure off just being thinking you can just run inside zone or outside zone against the other team or run power and just overwhelm the opponent. Now, sometimes get them flowing the wrong way too. 
um, but still get your playmakers the ball. You know, I don't think you need to do all that fancy stuff and then like have Lockett run it. No, no, no. Design something cool that gets Zach the ball, that gets Ken the ball. If you want to run one of those plays to Eskridge, that's, that's fine. You know, I'll run one to Bobo again. You know, so uh, I, I think that's something you said, Ryan, the extra one or two. That's the really the one I'm uh, a really big fan of. And I'm just kind of also excited on defense for not like one specific thing they're building up, but like this team eventually is going to get really nasty and like man coverage. You're just going to see them eventually just be like, damn, the fancy stuff. We're about to just blitz and go hat on hat on the back end mm. and win all of our one on ones. Uh, and it's going to work because they're going to like blitz Jamal and then like have Reek, Trey Brown, and Spoon on the back end one on one against the other three, other team's best three dudes. And it's just going to be just seatbelt celebrations everywhere. Is going to be, I don't know when that's going to happen. But you might get a game. They're going to have a game this year where they play like 70% man, and it's just going to look so beautiful. I can't wait for that day. Next one comes from Holly at Holly Keith 06. What were the vibes like in the stadium? Throwbacks were hitting hard. They really should add them to the uniform rotation. Yeah, they're wearing them again against Dallas, which I think is a great move. Um, the uniforms, with the helmets and everything. I thought... Uh, the 90s nostalgia w- was kind of cool. You know, they had like uh, boxes of Cracker Jacks in the in the press box. The end zones were blue. Um, they had Montel Jordan due to halftime. Uh, I forget the, gu- the guy's name who, who uh, played the guitar for the anthem, but I'm pretty sure that was 90s themed too. I just forget who it was. Um, Bill and I, the science guy raising the 12 flag, like all of that was just cool. They just did all of it. They did all of it right. You know, they were playing gin and juice in the locker room after they won. Gino had like a throwback West Coast gangster rap T-shirt on. It was just a really cool boy. had like a cool Sonics old logo hat on. Um, The whole thing was just done. right. I think Spoon might have wore a Sonics jersey. So um, it was really it was really cool. The vibes was um, was great. They played a lot better than the Seahawks did in the 90s. I was a little worried about that. They didn't want too much of a tribute there. The 90s was a rough decade. Seahawks football, but yeah, great vibes all around. Um, the media guide was 90s themed, everything, everything now. So, yeah, I, I wish they were doing it again at home, but I think it's a really nice look to do it. Um, against the Cowboys on prime time in week 13. This last one comes from Abraham New New Welt. What's the league protocol for permanently changing a team's uniform? All I know is the Hawks <laughs> are undefeated in the new look throwbacks. Yeah, I think you lose the allure if you wear them every week. So you can't do it every week. You can't even do it every home game. You just, you gotta, you gotta, it's like your favorite song, right? You can't just put it on repeat all day, right? You gotta go a couple of days without listening to it. Nope, I do it all the time. I'm sorry. I know you do. Everybody else, nah. <laughs> you have to wait, give it a couple of days and don't hear that song. And then when you go out and hear it, you know, radio, on the radio or at the bar, or at the club, you can be like, oh, it's my jam. Here we go. So you gotta, you gotta miss the song a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So they got to miss the jerseys. So they're going to wear different jerseys in week 9, 10, 11, 12. And then by the time week 13 comes around for that Cowboys game, it's going to be like, oh, you go to throwbacks again. We lit. So, um, yeah, I don't think they should make them permanent. I know that's a popular thing right now. But I definitely think they should go wherever the max is. I think it's twice a year. Definitely should max out every year with a throwback game and do it upright. Every year, I think the Mariners have started doing that too with their Back to the Future jerseys. Um, yeah, keep keep having these throwbacks. I think it's really cool to honor the past. Um, 
and just do it all, do it all the way right with the end zones, with the more '90s acts performing at halftime. I thought the Montel thing was cool. Do a Tupac hologram next time or something. Um, but yeah, whatever, whatever you want to do, I think they should uh, keep leaning into the kind of nostalgia of the of the '90s or of the, the the past in general. I think that's that was really that was really cool today. And I'm glad they won because we can talk about it. If they lost, it's like, well, damn, our throwbacks cursed. It's like maybe now it's just like it's so cool that the nfl allowing a second helmet is why the seahawks were even able to wear these and it was literally a play off of a helmet that spearheaded no pun intended uh the comeback effort so yeah i thought that was really that's the first thing i thought of when that ball hit jamal's head i was like wow no wonder they wanted to wear them helmets look what they did look at the luck they brought um so yeah uh, it was great vibes in there don't make them permanent, but definitely wear them as often as the league will allow, which I think is twice. Well, there you have it. We want to thank each and every single one of you for asking Twitter questions, whether you're a familiar face or not. We appreciate all the love and support. We have a new episode that will drop this Friday, probably going to Saturday morning at worst case, and that will be our standout plays from the game against the Browns. So Mike and I will dive into the film Monday, Tuesday, throughout the whole week pretty much, and we'll we'll deliver you guys some some plays for the weekend for your enjoyment and to learn. And then we'll come back with another post-game show after the Seahawks head to Balti. Well, Mike will be in Baltimore as well. So, yeah, I'll be in Baltimore for a 10 a.m. start here, 1 Eastern. So thank you guys again. Mike, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here? Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the love, all the support, all the comments, all the tweets, all the DMs, all the likes, all the subscriptions, everything you guys do to support the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate the love and support. And we will catch you guys later this week. Have a good week. Peace. You see, I don't have to drive me if you say that for your mama. Maybe you should smoke some and try the marijuana. I was never you good. The vibe was straight, shows you a couple of things and they finish changed. I treated you right. Everything was a gift from a time to your bag and a color on your lip. Yeah, you're your Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.